You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. We are very social creatures. We're often um, analysing others and uh, comparing ourselves to others. We, in order to kind of understand ourselves better, we look at others and that's how we come to a better understanding of who we are often. For example, I know that I am quite a tall person because most people I meet tend to be shorter than me. Um, you, you can know whether you're an athletic person or not by looking at other people around you and think, okay, maybe I am or maybe I'm not. You can, you can know, it. do I have dark skin because I can see other people with lighter skin? You, you know things about yourself because you compare yourself uh, to others. That's not a bad thing, that's just what we do as social creatures. We, we look around and we make assessments. I bet when you see a really, really tall person... I bet you, all, you poke the person you're with and say, look at that person, look how tall he is. I bet you do it, we all do it. And uh, we, we are social creatures, we compare ourselves often with others. But the problem with that is that it is in the shadow of comparison that envy rears its ugly head. Comparison is, is inevitable, we do it, that's what we do as human beings. But envy uh, can grow in the shadow of comparison. And today, uh, with a world where social networking is as big as it is, this is coming at us from all angles. We have uh, envy-triggering material coming at us every single day because people present the best version of themselves online and we think, man, compared to my reality, that looks so, so much better. But what I've said many times before here is that we are only seeing people's highlights reels. When you go out with someone, uh, maybe just for a coffee, you could take a picture of yourself having coffee with that person say, having a great time. And it might just be a real average time. But you're not going to say having an average time uh, having coffee with so-and-so. No, you say, I'm having a great time, so much fun. I'm having so much fun. And you can look at other people's highlights and you think, oh man, my life is really boring compared to that. Uh, my, my, my existence is so, so dull compared to theirs. But we need to take a step back, as I said, and realize that our, uh, our day-to-day cannot be compared with other people's highlights reel. We have uh, lulls and boredom, and we have excitement and activity. Uh, these things happen. In the glare of social media, though, we can forget that and think, man, my life really isn't quite as good as theirs. Maybe you're not on social media. If you're not on social media, statistically, it means you are probably happier than people who are on social media. Okay, (laughs) there's a few of you going, yes, that's me, feeling self-righteous. Shame on you. Um, uh, (laughs) You're probably statistically happier than those who are on social media. But that doesn't mean that envy still can't uh, rear its ugly head in your life because you might enter into different situations at work or at church or elsewhere and think, I wish I could go on holidays like they go on. I wish I could afford clothes like him. Or I wish my kids were like theirs. Or I, I, Everyone seems to be pairing up and I'm left behind. You, you can kind of uh, look around you, even in just day-to-day life, and think, oh, I wish my life was a bit more like theirs. Now, sometimes uh, envy doesn't just stay there as a thought. It sometimes then comes out in our words, and we can be quite crafty sometimes, can't we? We can uh, lay in a little... Uh, a com- veiled in a compliment, we can put in a little dig just to kind of draw them down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, she's really good looking, but there's more to life than looks, isn't there? And, you know, under the surface, you know, she's really not got a lot going on. Or, you know, he is really successful, but it kind of landed in his lap a little bit, didn't it? He didn't really have to work for it. You know, we can put in a compliment, but really underneath, you know what we're saying? We're trying to drag people down because we're envious of them. Yeah, they've got a great house, but, you know, they're not as generous as I am with my money. That church seems great, but I guess it's only popular because they're just so shallow. It can be really subtle. Sometimes 
uh, veiled in a compliment, but deep down there's envy, there's comparison, and there's a desire to sort of drag down successful people. That's, we, I said recently, in this country, we don't really like it when people get successful. Okay, so our local hero, Ed Sheeran, he's probably at the moment the most popular songwriter in the world. He's making millions. He's had dozens of hits in the top 40. Sometimes he's, get, he's taken up the whole top 10. He is so successful right now. And yet he's had to come off Twitter because he's getting thousands of people abusing him, throwing abuse at him. And I would bet that actually when he was not famous, when he was just uh, doing gigs in uh, pubs around this area, that those, ki- those same people would have enjoyed his music. But suddenly he's successful. We've got to tear him down. We love in this country to build people up and then tear them down when they're successful. All because of envy. All because... Deep down, we think, I want that. I want that success and fame. I want that money. And so I'm going to tear down those people who have it because I'm envious. And this is what we're really coming to today in chapter 18. Just to give you a bit of a recap so far, Israel, there'd been a succession of leadership failure in their country. And the people would ask God, give us a king. We want a king like the other nations. So God gave them a king, Saul. He started well, defeated this evil guy, Nahash. He was, uh, he was the pride and joy of his nation for, for quite some time. And then he started to go his own way, started to kind of disobey God. And then God, via the prophet Samuel, had said, you know, you're, going, you're not going to be king for much longer. You're going down, Saul. And then David had stepped up when the Israelites were being intimidated by the Philistines and this guy, Goliath, this giant. David had stepped up and with one stone, had knocked this giant out and killed him. And so suddenly, uh, David is the talk of the town. Verse 6, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul kept an eye on David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David down to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Suddenly, David is the new star. If you can think back uh, a good 15 years ago to when uh, Wayne Rooney first came to stardom, 16-year-old kid scoring wonder goals. Most football fans believed that he was going to be the greatest player that England has ever seen. And suddenly, no one was talking about Michael Owen. No one was talking about David Beckham. It was Wayne Rooney. He was the guy who was going to lead England to glory, and that didn't really turn out as we had hoped. But suddenly, he had hit the scene. And it's in the same way that David was suddenly the talk of the town, and Saul felt threatened. He does this whole comparison thing. He's older, 
He's not as good looking now that he's older. He's not the popular guy anymore. David's the one they're singing about. Um, Saul used to be the popular guy after defeating Nahash, but now it's David. He's done this comparison game, and it goes on to, to lead him to do some crazy things. He tries to kill David. In this passage, he tries to kill David twice. And then over the coming chapters, he tries to kill David again and again through various means, as we heard last week, by sending David on an impossible mission to go and get hundreds of Philistine foreskins. And then uh, he sent David to the, the front of the line in the army just to try and get rid of this guy. This story teaches us that envy is bad news. And we're going to learn four things about envy this morning and see what this story has to teach us about the heart. Firstly, first thing today is this, envy is not the same as jealousy. These two are not the same. Jealousy can be a good thing. Envy is not a good thing. There is such a thing as godly jealousy. God is described in Exodus chapter 34 as a jealous God. If you see in verse uh, 6, the Lord, the Lord is Merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands. This is kind of fridge magnet stuff, isn't it? This is really inspiring. God is gracious. He's compassionate. He extends his love to thousands. And then you just flick forward a few verses to verse 14. The Lord, your God, is jealous. He is a jealous God. Jealousy is his name. How can that be? How can God be a jealous God? Oprah Winfrey, uh, the uh, very, very successful talk show host in America, now possibly presidential candidate in the coming years, she left behind Christianity when she heard a preacher in her Baptist church preaching about God being a jealous God. And she said, if God can be jealous of me, I don't want anything to do with him. What she failed to... We'll cut some slack here because... You know, the normal understanding of jealousy that we have, we think, well, how, how can God be jealous? What she failed to understand was that God was not jealous of her riches, of her success. He was jealous for her. He was jealous for her. He's jealous for everyone who has given their affections and attention to something or someone else. Jealousy is a good thing when we are angry about someone whose affections rightly belong to us giving their affections to someone or something else. That's a good jealousy. It's wrong if there's no ground for it, if that other person's affection doesn't rightly belong to us. It's wrong if that anger is out of proportion. But there is justified jealousy. And God is a jealous God. God, in this passage in Exodus 34, uses an anal analogy of marriage. So I'm going to do that as well. If my wife Sarah was, was if I, after the service today, if I see her speaking to another guy and I get angry about that, then that's possessive and that's dangerous, okay? But if I saw a guy trying to seduce her and win her affections and got angry and jealous about that, then that is a good thing. That is a good thing because we've got a covenant and her affections belong to, to me and my affections belong to her. And so jealousy as a result of that would be a good thing and a right thing. In fact, if I didn't feel that anger and jealousy, it wouldn't be very loving of me. In fact, it wouldn't show that I really loved her if I was just, oh, I'm okay with her being seduced by another guy. That's all right. Now, God is a jealous God in the sense that our affections as beings made by him and made in his image, they rightly belong to God. And when we go after other things as a source of our joy, 
and give our affections to other things, ultimately, he is jealous. He's jealous for us. He's not jealous of us as, as if he wants the stuff that we have. He's not jealous of Oprah Winfrey. He's jealous for us. Scripture views God's jealousy as a good thing. His jealousy is righteous jealousy because as we've uh, seen throughout this series, God has a covenant with Israel and he demands their unqualified love and loyalty. And yet they go after idols. They go after things that, that are not God. It constitutes unfaithfulness, adultery, spiritual adultery, and it provokes his jealousy. And that is very different to envy, which says, I want what you've got and I resent you because I haven't got it. Or, I want what you've got, and I don't want you to have what you've got, so I'll do all I can to ensure you don't get it or you don't enjoy it. And that is what Saul is dealing with here. He's seeing the praise that David is getting, and he's saying, I want what he's got. I want what he's got. So, jealousy and envy are not the same thing. Number two, envy reveals the heart. If there's one slightly, in a tiny way, a positive thing about envy, it's this. It reveals what it is that we treasure most deeply in our hearts. It reveals it and it amplifies it and draws it out of us. The fire that comes from envy isn't always a bad thing if we allow it to reveal to us what it is that we are are making the most ultimate thing in our lives. So when Saul looked upon David and uh, felt envious towards him, there was an opportunity for him there to look inside and think, okay, what is it that's bothering me so much here? What, what is it that's in my heart that I'm treasuring uh, more than God? Is it that I'm treasuring popularity and the praise of people? Here's an opportunity there, but as we'll see, he doesn't really take that opportunity. Instead, he allows envy to grow, and it ends up being very destructive. All of us, all of us build up little kingdoms in our lives. Saul has a literal kingdom, and he knew that uh, it was God's will that that kingdom wasn't always going to be his. But the kingdom that treasure... The kingdom that Saul treasured most was one of praise and adoration of men. We can build up kingdoms for ourselves, identities that we might find in particular areas, comfort that we might find in particular possessions. We're all susceptible to envy if we begin to find our identity, security, and sense of worth in other things. We're all susceptible to envy. You're not as safe from envy as you might think you are. Saul started well, didn't he? He started really well. Humble guy, serving his dad, obeying his dad, unassuming when he was told he was going to be king, obedient to God, courageous, started so well, trusting in God. And now he is a maniac. And over the coming uh, chapters, as you read ahead, he is crazy. He's doing all he can to get rid of David. The same with Satan. Satan was an angel, the Bible tells us. Dignified being. Really just glorious being. And suddenly envious of God. Envious of God's power and the affection that God was demanding of his creation. Fell from heaven. Envy exposes our deepest desires. It shows It shows us what brings us joy. It shows us what we value most. It shows us where our heart loyalties really lie. Saul's God was the praise of men. This is what he loved and longed for. He wanted to be held in high regard by men, to be held higher than anyone else. 
And envy came calling and said, David is getting what you deserve. David is getting what you deserve. So Saul embarked on this long campaign of trying to murder David. Envy laid his heart bare and drove him to insanity as he pursued this false god. And today I just want to, uh, as we close in a few minutes' time, just to think, okay, where is there envy in my heart? There's an opportunity for us to assess what's going on in our own hearts. And it might even take more than just this morning. It might take some time to be with God later today and this week to say, God, where is there envy in my heart? What, what's going on here? Is there something here that you're, you're not pleased with? Take this moment to, to work out what's going on here before it wreaks havoc in your life like it did for Saul. It wreaks havoc because, point number three, envy knows no moderation. Envy's kind of, it's kind of joked about, isn't it, in this culture? I made a joke earlier to some people that I was envious of a friend who was going to watch some rugby in, in Italy today. Envy's kind of neutral. We, we, there was a clothing line called Envy, wasn't there? And there was for many, many years in this town a, a, a nightclub called Envy. It becomes a kind of neutral, ah, being envious of something or someone, it's not a bad thing. We might say, well, God, God gets jealous, so, so, so can I. Well, we don't understand that the jealousy that God has is completely different. Envy doesn't do moderation. It's got a long history of destruction. Cain and Abel led to destruction, envious. Cain was envious of Abel. Joseph and his brothers, his brothers were uh, envious of Joseph's, uh, uh, the, the, the way in which their father loved Joseph. Envious of Joseph's dreams, ended up selling him into slavery. We see in the Gospels that it was because of the envy of the Pharisees. They saw Jesus becoming really popular. They saw him becoming this teacher that was far more popular than they could, they could ever have been. And it led them to arresting him and putting him up for trial. Pilate saw it. You read it, it says, Pilate knew that they were envious of Jesus. Envy causes us to act out against God by resenting him because you determine in your mind, I deserve better than what God has given me. You believe that God owes you more and better and that God must love other people more than you because he's given them more stuff than you or the stuff that you really want he's given to other people. And it causes us to act out against the person towards whom we feel envy. Envy causes us to experience sorrow in another person's joy and joy in another person's sorrow. We like it when those that we envy and when bad things happen to them. What you cannot enjoy for yourself, you believe that no one should be able to enjoy. And it may not lead to murder. It may not lead to crazy stuff like last week. I don't know if you saw this in the news. A guy who uh, was having to work hard, his wife was able to have a night off and go to the pub with her friends. And because he was so envious of this, he rang up this pub and claimed there was a bomb in the pub so that everyone had to evacuate the pub and she had to come home early because he was envious of her. And he ended up getting uh, a, a suspended sentence and a big fine for it. What an idiot. Dorothy Sayers says it well. Envy is the great leveler. If it cannot level things up, it will level them down. Rather than have anyone happier than itself, it will see us all miserable together. Envy wants to destroy your joy. It's one of the few sins that you never really enjoy. Most sins in the moment might be quite enjoyable. And it's the next day you think, what have I, or the next moment you think, what have I done? A bit like garlic bread. It's enjoyable in the moment. The next morning you think, well, what have I done? My breath stinks. Now, envy is not enjoyable at all. It causes misery. It causes complete misery. 
It's out to destroy our gratitude and our joy. It might lead to very subtle stuff. It might lead to gossip. It might lead to slander. It might lead to morbid fantasy of bad things happening to that person. But if unchecked, it is never harmless. Envy is the mother of malice. It gives birth to murder. In Galatians chapter 5, it's listed amongst sexual immorality, idolatry, and drunkenness. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, Peter says this, Put aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Why is he saying this? It's, it's not fitting of who we are now. These things are no longer fitting of who we are now. You've got to see that in these um, letters that the apostles write, they write again and again to remind people of the gospel. Again and again and again. This is who you are now. This is your identity now. And now in light of that, throw these things off. Again and again, you see this phrase, put off that. Take off that because it's no longer fitting of who we are. If I try to wear the clothes that I could once fit into, I mean, that's not who I am anymore. I, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a skinny winny anymore. I can't fit into those things anymore. No, this is not who we are now. Envy and slander and malice, these are not befitting of who we are now in Christ. Envy knows no moderation. It ends up leading to misery and worse. Fourthly and finally, envy is destroyed by thankfulness. It's crucial to understand that envy flows from pride. So pride drives the sentiment that says, that thing that they have that I don't have, I deserve that. We think we deserve more than what we have. We lose sight of all of the ways in which we fall short of God's glory. We lose sight of the fact that we, in what we do and we say and think, we fall short of God's standards. We fall short again and again. And we think, basically, I'm essentially a good person. I'm essentially quite a nice guy. I haven't murdered anyone. I haven't stolen from anyone. I'm, I'm quite a nice guy. I deserve good things. Not like them over there. I mean, he really has done some horrible things. But when we soberly assess ourselves we realize I do and say and think wrong stuff all of the time. And I need the grace and mercy of God. And thankfully, thankfully, he's given it to me in abundance. So our posture, when we realize this, it's not one of, I need everything to go well for me, and I need everyone to serve me in my needs. Because basically, we don't deserve that. We don't deserve everything to go well for us. We don't deserve everyone uh, serving us and our needs. We are ill-deserving of the grace of God. Not just undeserving, we're ill-deserving of it, which means we deserve the complete opposite of God's grace. We deserve his wrath. We deserve the punishment from God for all of the bad things that we've done. Even today, many of us, we know in what I said earlier, in what I did earlier, or what I thought earlier, we deserve wrath, but what God gives us instead is his grace. We are ill-deserving of it, but he lavishes upon us favor that we don't deserve. And you know what, friends, when we remember that, when we call it to mind, it destroys pride. Pride is our greatest enemy. When we think we're deserving of things, when we think we're essentially a good person, we need to recall to mind the truth that without God, we're in great trouble. But thankfully, with God, we've been given all kinds of merciful things. We've been adopted into his family. We've been set free from the past. We've been given a bright hope and a future. We've been given his Holy Spirit. We, we get given so much we don't deserve. We, we must call to mind his grace on our lives. His common grace and his special grace. Uh, it seems weird calling God's grace common in any way. His common grace is that we get stuff that people who are 
believers and people who aren't believers get. We get food on our table. We say grace sometimes, and you know, with our kids, we're sort of having to persuade them. Can you say, who's going to say thank you to God tonight? I don't want to. We have this battle every night. <laughs> oh, well, it's your turn. It's your turn. You know, we say grace, though, because we're reminding ourselves that it's only by God's grace that we have what is before us. And we're so far removed, aren't we, from how this food has come onto our plates. We've gone to a shop and we found this bit of plastic, this food covered in plastic, and we've bleeped it on a machine, and then we've got it home, we've pushed a button on an oven, and it's, it's there on our plates. Now, hundreds of years ago, every autumn, it was, let's pray for the harvest. Every autumn, it was, we're going to see, we've got to see God provide for our needs here. And so when people said grace, it, was, it meant something because it's God's grace that we've had the rain. It's God's, you know, this grace is common. Jesus said it, God causes the sun to shine on the righteous and the unrighteous. The rains to fall on, on, on those that believe and those who don't believe. So there's common grace that we can be grateful for that destroys our pride. But then there's this special grace that I've talked about, that God has rescued us. He's, he's brought us out of our slavery into sin. He's placed us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. We're now his sons and daughters. We've got to remind ourselves of the grace of God. This destroys pride. It destroys entitlement. It destroys this thing of saying, I deserve what they've got. Because when we really realize and remind ourselves, we realize, I didn't deserve that ever. I didn't even deserve to be alive. I've prayed recently, God... I just, I just deserve destruction. I just, even the things I've done and said and thought, I've just, even recently, I think, God, what I deserve is completely the opposite of what I get. I get your grace. So I can look at people and, and people who might even be apparently being blessed more than I am, although we've got to take it with a pinch of salt when we look at social media and all that kind of stuff, or even, you know, people's best faces on a Sunday. I think, you know, I'm happy that they're getting what they don't deserve because I don't deserve it either. I can rejoice in their blessing and say, I didn't deserve it, nor, nor did they, but God's blessed them. The grace of God is what destroys, it's thankfulness for the grace of God that destroys pride and destroys envy in our lives. The grace of God to justify us before himself. The grace of God to adopt us as his sons and daughters. The grace of God to bestow on us the blessings of eternal security and hope the grace of God that led to the true king Jesus willingly stepping off his throne Saul here he's holding on to his throne isn't he I must hold on to that throne of my own kingdom well Jesus he willingly stepped off his throne he came to serve us on the cross to free us from this brokenness to free us from our own pride and envy that we might reign with him We've heard this morning, we're conquerors, more than conquerors. We're seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And it was the jealousy of God that drove him to do this. It was the jealousy of God that led to him sending his son to come off the throne. God is jealous for you. Maybe you don't, you don't know him this morning. He is jealous for you. He's, a, he's got a, a passionate, furious love for you. He really wants you. He really wants your affection. He really wants to know you. He wants to be the center of all of your life. He knows that that's best for you. He knows that that's best for you. When we make other things the center of our lives, it leads to this brokenness that we've seen this morning. So Jesus, in response to his father's sending, he came and died on the cross to take 
the punishment for all of our hatefulness and pride and envy. He bore the weight of our sin and shame. He was stricken for our sin and he rose again so that we could have new life. It's this grace, when we call it to mind, when we, when we remind ourselves of this, it's this grace that destroys pride, it destroys entitlement. And we rejoice in the blessings that we have. Even if we think others have more than us, we'll rejoice in what we do have. King David, I think, over these years that followed, he was fleeing from Saul for years. He had reason to be a bit bitter about his situation. He, he had a lot of reason to think, I wish that life was different to what it is. And in these years, as we read uh, chapters 19 to 22, he wrote the following Psalms. Psalm 59, Psalm 34, Psalm 54, 56, 142. He wrote these incredible Psalms. I want to read a couple of them to you. Psalm 59, verses 16 to 17. I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been a fortress to me, a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to you. For you, O God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. This is when he's hiding in a cave. This is when he's on the run from this maniac trying to kill him. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name forever. Verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This was a man of worship. This was a man whose heart was, was grateful to God for what he had. Even in, imagine being on the run for that long. Some of you watch Hunted and you like watching these people try and escape for a few days. This is a guy who's he's literally having to escape from Saul for years. Knowing his destiny is to, to rule on the throne. Knowing what God had promised to him. And for years this is not happening. It's not coming through for him. You might think, I know what God's promised to me. It's not happening yet. And I seem to be in this wilderness and I seem to be running and never resting. You're able to find God in this time. You're able to worship him. David saw confusing situations around him and he trusted the sovereign God of the universe. He saw that God was weaving a story. How, do we, how often do we forget that God is an artist who's weaving together a story? He's working all things together for our good. That means the downright confusing things as well as the good things. He's working all things together for our good. John Piper says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life and you may be aware of three of them. We've got to see God as this great story weaver, a great artist. He loves you. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is wise. And his love is steadfast. It doesn't change. We've got to call to mind his grace. This will help us to trust in him. This will help us to trust in him, even when we think, I'm not seeing the blessings that they're seeing. And I trust God is in control. He's sovereign. Can we stand together? I'd love to pray and lead us and maybe the band could get ready to come and lead us in a final song. Let's ask God that he would help us to fix our minds on him and to call to mind this good news. Thank you, Father, that we have a lot to be thankful for. 
Lord, we might look around in our lives and think, what is happening here? I don't understand what's happening here. But Lord, we know that we are undeserving and even ill-deserving of your grace. And yet you've rescued us. Those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus, seen him to be the son of God, you've rescued us. You've made a way. Lord, you've brought us into your family. Father, your, your jealous love compelled you to act. Your jealous love. It sent your son. Your son willingly gave up his throne, willingly came to serve us, laid down his life to free us from our sin and our shame. Lord, we just want to own this morning where we've been envious. We want to own that and just say, yeah, that was, that's my heart right now. I'm envious of this situation. I'm envious of that person. And Lord, this morning, I pray that you would destroy pride and envy in our lives as we, as we call to mind this good news, as we call to mind this glorious grace. I pray for anyone here who doesn't yet know you. I pray you'd reveal your jealous love to them. Now as we sing, would you reveal your love to them? Would you call them into your family? We love you, Lord. We want to live lives of thankfulness. We want to be like David, who even in absolutely awful circumstances, we found, he found that he could praise you. Lord, help us to keep in mind that you're sovereign. You're weaving a story together. Lord, it's one we don't always understand, but you're weaving a story for our good, for your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.